But this morning, I really had, and I've, I'm learning to really uh, just walk in, in, in the spirit on this sort of stuff, um, to, to just go by the Lord's plan, whatever our agenda was. And I felt very strongly throughout the week, the Lord put a, a passage on my heart in the light of some things that are going on I, I, in the news and whatever, and I couldn't get the passage out of my head. And even when I was doing my other message, I kept on getting this one coming back. And um, as of yesterday, I just decided that uh, it, it really is the Lord's will to... Uh, it started as sort of an introduction. Well, I'll just kind of give this little word at the beginning of my message. And then that little beginning word grew and grew and grew. And so that's what I want to share with you this morning. I don't know. If you, if you read, I rebuke you. Oh, it's going up. I adore you. Anyway. Um, we're still trying to get the kinks worked out, by the way, on this lighting stuff. I know you can't see the screen. Um, hopefully by next week we're going to have that kind of taken care of, so bear with us. Um, I don't know if you read the new newspaper much or watch the news or whatever, but um, I try to read the newspaper every day, watch the news every day, not because I'm so invested in current events, but because I like to keep my, my, my finger on the pulse of the world to know what's going on. And this last week, actually the last several weeks, have really been intriguing in terms of some developments. Um, it's just interesting stuff, not only the content of what has been being shared, but the way it's been being shared. There is, um, there has been, in, in, on the news especially, but also in the paper and on the internet. I've been doing some stuff on the internet, just researching different topics. And there's a, a kind of almost apocalyptic feel to some things. I want to share that a little bit. First, let me read this passage from 2 Peter chapter 3, and you'll know what I'm talking about once I read this. And we'll come back to this in a little bit. The author says, Don't let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Apparently some people were getting really frustrated because the Lord hadn't come back yet. Peter says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So Peter is here saying that the Lord delayed, is delaying his coming out of his patience, because he wants everybody saved. But the day of the Lord, he says in verse 10, will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought we to be in our conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Praise the Lord. All right. Let me pray. Father, so often in your word you tell us to watch. So often in your word you tell us to be ready. And I pray, Lord God, that you would use this uh, message, God, to energize us and motivate us to do that. Just be present here, Lord. Let your spirit move and anoint this word and challenge us. I pray, Lord God, that you would, Lord, be present here to guard against the spirit of fear that could encroach on people but rather, Lord God, to install in us a spirit that is not of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. At the same time, Lord God, I rebuke this buzzing in this monitor. Amen. 
Can you, I'm getting a lot of buzz back here. It feels like a giant mosquito in the air. If you could do something to swat that baby, I'd appreciate it. Let me start with a word picture. If you have, let's say you have five people in a room, and they hate each other, or let's say two of them hate the other three, and the other three hate those two, and they kind of form an alliance against one another, but they don't have any weapons, but they really hate each other. It's possible that a fight's going to break out, but even if a fight breaks out, it's not going to do a whole lot of harm because they don't have any weapons. They can beat up one another, but you know, it's hard to kill someone with your bare hands, so probably things are going to be okay. Not pleasant, but okay. Let's now intensify that tenfold. You've got 50 people in that same room, and you have now pockets of people who have alliances against one another. And uh, they, you know, two, two hate four of the other people and four hate the other two. And there's all sorts of alliances and there's a lot of bitter, a lot of energy, uh, negative energy going on there. And now some of them have clubs. The chances that you're going to have an outbreak of a, a fight of some sort are increased tenfold. And when that fight breaks out, it's going to be ten times worse than it was when they didn't have any clubs because you can do a lot more damage with clubs than you can with your bare hands. Now increase that tenfold again. You got 500 people in that same room. You got all sorts of alliances. You got hatred and bitterness going on there. And now some of the people still have clubs, but now on top of that, some of them have guns. The chances of something, of a fight breaking out, of a ma major chain reaction going on, is increased tenfold again. And the harm that can be done is increased tenfold again. Because now people can kill with a gun. They got the gun pointed at, at one another. Let's increase it tenfold again. Now you've got 5,000 people in that same room. You've got a lot of hostility, a lot of packs, a lot of alliances going on here. And now some of the people, some have, have clubs, some have guns, and some of them have got bazookas. Now the situation is even worse. The likelihood of a fight breaking out, a chain reaction going off that's going to cause a lot of bloodshed is increased tenfold again, so we're a thousand times more likely than we originally were that there's going to be a fight. And the damage that can be done is a thousand times worse. Now let's increase it tenfold again. And we got five, fifty, how many, fifty thousand people. Fifty thousand people in this room. And they still hate each other and you got packs and alliances and all sorts of stuff going on. And now some of the people, they have clubs, some have guns, some have bazookas, and some have got bombs that are big enough to blow up the whole room. Now you are in a very serious situation because... As long as those people hate each other, they have alliances, there's packs made with one another, it's held together by a very tenuous network. And the chances of a fight breaking out are now 10,000 times more likely than it was originally, and the harm that can be done is 10,000 times worse than it was originally when, they, when you only had five people who had no weapons. You're following me here. That is, I believe, exactly the situation that the world is in. I'm still getting this, why don't you just cut that mic, you can't do it? Yeah, I might just unplug it. Yes, that's a good idea. That, that's better. <laughs> the mosquito shrunk. This is, I believe, exactly the kind of situation that the world is in. We have, in the last 60 years, the last 60 years, gone from having little billy clubs to having bombs, and gone from having five people in the room to 50,000 people in the room, and it's a very tense atmosphere. 
And those of you who have been around here for very long know that I'm not a doomsday preacher. How many times in the last five and a half years have I actually preached on the second coming? Uh, maybe three, maybe four times. It's just that I did it two weeks ago. So if you've only came two weeks ago, you think that every sermon is on the end times. But it's not. But it's just that right now there are things going on that we need to be aware of and it needs to impact us in terms of how we live and how we think and, and what we, we, we do with stuff. Here's a, an article in the paper uh, yesterday morning. It's called, New Nuclear Powers Make Region Strife a Global Threat. This is what I'm talking about. You know that uh, India and Pakistan, if you've been paying attention to the news at all, India and Pakistan have recently entered the arms race. Uh, India, several weeks ago, uh, uh, carried out five uh, nuclear tests to equip themselves with nuclear arms and go public with the fact that they are now a nuclear power. Pakistan, therefore, had to keep up. There's been a war going on between Pakistan and India for the last 50 years. Three times fighting has broken out. So Pakistan has reciprocated just yesterday. They set off another nuclear test. That makes three. The United Nations has been powerless to stop them. They're imposing sanctions and whatnot. But when you want nuclear power and you feel that your national interests are threatened, you're going to get nuclear power. And it's a very scary situation. Here's what this article says. The world is back on nuclear alert, and Cold War images of mushroom clouds have returned to the nightly news. We thought the Cold War was over. Actually, the Cold War never ended. It just stopped making the news. Uh, our, our major arms reduction thing that we're so proud of and that peace and safety has finally come, what that translates to is this. We used to have the capacity, us in Russia used to have the capacity to destroy every person on the planet 47 times. We have made great progress in this and we can now only destroy them 41 times. Isn't that great progress? So the Cold War is over, but we still got the stuff loaded. It's right there. The newest members of the nuclear club, he calls it, the nuclear club. Let's join the nuclear club. How many people hold pistols? How many people hold bazookas? And how many people hold the ultimate weapon that can blow up the whole room? Well, if you hold that weapon, you're part of the nuclear club. The newest members of the nuclear club also are considered the most likely to unleash their awesome power. They got less to lose, folks. Goes on here. This Robert Oakley, the former U.S. ambassador to Pakistan, said, the problem out there is accidental conflict. When there's a low-level conflict all the time, which there is between Pakistan and India, it can easily escalate. Aside from the horror of nuclear carnage, which is pretty bad, Americans have other reasons to fear the developments in India and Pakistan. Now, I just want us to see here, this is a good article in that it shows how tightly woven the modern world has become. Talked about that several weeks ago. The world is an inextricably connected network, okay? It's all part of one thing which makes the likelihood of a chain reaction if, where any particular war breaks out all the more likely. Longer-term experts worry that the emergence of two more nuclear powers will encourage other countries to follow their lead. Some Pakistan watchers warned that the impact of economic sanctions could prompt the country to sell some of its nuclear capability to Iran or some other Islamic country in the region. Now, to me, this is not a question of if they're going to do it. It's a question of when they're going to do it. It gives you tremendous leverage, not only to get your own way politically, but tremendous leverage economically when you possess nuclear capability. You possess, possess the know-how and, and the material that you need. Just this morning, I read in the, pa in the paper that uh, Pakistan and India are both, both using their nuclear capability as bargaining chips to get what they want. 
uh, the, 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 this, this land, Kashmir, that they're fighting over. Each says, okay, you know, we'll back off if you give us this land. And that's what they've been fighting over. Trouble is, they both want it. What are you going to do now? They both hold the ultimate weapon. And there's tremendous, uh, tremendous um, motivation to sell this stuff or to give it away to your friends. A big scandal in Washington right now is that that's exactly what we did. Have you been following this? That, and, and no one quite knows why, and no one's, this, is, this is allegedly stuff here, okay, but it seems that for reasons that aren't quite clear, uh, the president gave to China uh, some technology with regard to satellites that allows China to equip some of their weapons, and they gave it to Pakistan, and that's why India is so mad. And no one's quite sure why President Clinton did that. His defense uh, cabinet recommended that he didn't do it, but, but he did do it. And then there are those who are saying, well, it has to do with the fact that China, in fact, this, this business in particular, contributed over a million dollars to his campaign, but I'm not even going to go there. It doesn't matter. They got it. You see, it's hard to contain this stuff. Once you develop the technology and the know-how, it seeps out one way or another. Some Islamic countries, this author goes on to say, some Islamic countries might feel a pull might feel a pull to come to Pakistan's defense if the war is viewed as a battle between Muslim and Hindu extremists. If it's viewed that way. Folks, this is exactly how it's viewed. I mean, this is what the, the, is going on in this war. The radical is, uh, Islamic groups fighting the, Israeli, uh, the, the radical uh, Hindu groups and the, and the Sikhs, it's got a religious overtone to it. And these people, these are the ones who drive the trucks full of bombs into the buildings and blow themselves up because the ends justifies the means. You don't have the kind of checks and balances in place that you had during the uh, U.S.-Russian Cold War. India's tense relationships with uh, neighboring China could deteriorate. Could deteriorate. They're gone. Especially since China has helped Pakistan develop nuclear capability. China's the one that gave it to Pakistan and we gave it to China. Russia, with historic ties to India, might also jump into the fray. You see here the chain reaction. Who's got an alliance with who? Who's the buddy of who? The world has no experience in dealing with nuclear war, this author says. Since we have no experience dealing with it, it's scary to think about. Duh. The escalation into an arms race is the first step into the worst possible scenario. That is the knife edge we all live on. St. Paul Pioneer Press yesterday. Here's the situation, and we just need to get a grip on it. Once this technology is developed, it has been developed for 50 years, you can't undevelop it. Once you learn what you learn, you can't unlearn it. You can't pretend like you don't know how to do it when, in fact, you know how to do it. Once you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't put the fruit back on the tree. And therefore, it's impossible to reverse this dis dissemination of stuff that's going on now. When, the, when we had this Cold War going on with the U.S. And, the Ru and, and, and Russia, there was a number of things, as it's still going on, but it's kind of gone undercover, a number of things that keep this in place. Most of all, we all have a lot to lose by entering into this war. But the more this information gets disseminated to smaller countries, third world countries with a different ideology and less to lose, the more likely it is that somebody will begin to use it and set off a chain reaction calling on their big buddy friends to come into the battle and start using it. It's a world of difference between whether the U.S. and Russia have nuclear arms. That's bad enough. But when Pakistan and India get it, when they join the big leagues, we are in a scary situation. And what happens then when, 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 when the Palestinians get it, when the Israelis get it? You have got conflict there that has been going on for eons. 
What happens when you, if this gets introduced into Ireland or the Hutu and, and Tutu tribes in Rwanda or the, the, the Serbs and the Bosnians, that conflict? The more this information gets disseminated to smaller countries, smaller groups of people with less to lose and a different ideology, the more likely it is that it will eventually go off. Go off. And so it seems that you have to face the conclusion that it's just a matter of time before it does go off. That's the escalation that we're in. And it gives us Christians a chance to do an inventory on ourselves and ask this question. What kingdom do you belong to? What kingdom do you belong to? And I'm not talking about do you belong to the U.S. or do you belong to China or do you belong to Russia. I'm saying do you belong to the kingdom of God or are, do you belong to the kingdom of this world? As you see this stuff starting to happen and you put it together with what the Word of God says as we read this morning about the coming of the end of the world, it's time to take inventory as Peter causes the Christians in the first century to take inventory and ask the question, how invested are you in the things of this world? What does this do to you as you see this new development? And you'd be a fool to predict the day or the hour or the year or even a century of the end of the world. But all the signs seem to indicate that we're in the last chapter and even if that's wrong, it's time for us to take an inventory of, of, it, uh, of this and ask, how are we living? Are we living like it is, in fact, the end and that the Lord is coming back? There are a lot of things that indicate that this thing is escalating and we're approaching the final chapter. We talked about this a lot several weeks ago, and I'm not going to repeat it. Get the, get the tape. Superboy Leaps into the Dark, I think it was called. But all the things indicate we, we're, we are in an unprecedented period in history. Never has there been anything like this. Among other things, we've seen technology develop at an unprecedented rate. From 1900 to 1960, the amount of information that we knew about all things doubled from all the previous history. We learned more in those 60 years than we learned in the whole previous of the history of the world up to that point. And then from 1960 to 1990, it doubled again. And from 1990 till now they're saying about the year 2004, 2005, give or take a couple of months, I suppose, we're going to double it again. The technology is growing exponentially. And there's good with that. You're eating of the tree of knowledge, and it is good and evil. There's good stuff that comes with that. Helps life, builds a lot of conveniences, etc., etc. But there's an evil component to it as well, and you can't have the one without the other. And as the good grows exponentially, the evil grows exponentially, and there's a point at which it becomes positively lethal. And that's what people are not looking at as they're chasing after the tree of the knowledge of the good. They ignore the evil repercussions. But we're leaping into the dark here. We don't know what the full ramifications of, of this thing will be, but there's a lot of signs and evidences of it that it's not going to be very pretty. Another thing that happened in the news this, this uh, last week, we had yet another school shooting. Young man just offed his two parents. They went to school, loaded to, for bear, and opened fire in a, in, a, in, a, in a cafeteria full of kids. Just started gunning them down. And he asked the question, what is going on? Several weeks earlier, we saw this in Arkansas. Uh, two kids, it's just shocking, an 11 and a 13-year-old pulled the fire alarm and the school got evacuated. They sat outside and they t had target practice on their friends and dropped a lot of them. Several months earlier in December, a kid walked into a prayer meeting in one of our schools and opened fire on a prayer meeting, just mowing down nine kids. It was just two months before that that another thing happened where a kid walked into a classroom and started blowing apart people over and over and over again. Just read it yesterday in New Jersey, 
four kids attacked a teacher because the teacher wouldn't attack, was hitting, didn't kill the teacher. I guess that's a sign of improvement. Um, and, but four, four girls attacked this teacher, pulverizing her, spitting on her, kicking her, because she wouldn't let them watch the Jerry Springer show in the class. Now think about this. And people say, what is going on? What is going on? This is kind of unprecedented. There once was a time where kids didn't do this. It's escalating juvenile crime, violent juvenile crime. Murderous crime has quadrupled in the last 12 years. What is going on? And the pundits, the sociological pundits of our culture sit around, they try to find this cause or that cause, they try to investigate it. But you've got to look at the big picture. You've got to look at the big picture. Look at the whole fabric of things. Instead of trying to pin it on one cause or blame it on the parents or whatever, you look at the big picture. And what's happening is this. We are mixing some things in the pot with regard to our children. And we don't know what kind of chemical combustion this causes, but we're beginning to see it. You, 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 you mix in a godless philosophy where you outlaw the Ten Commandments in school, which is what we've done in this country. You outlaw the Ten Commandments. You're not allowed to t talk on those. You're not allowed to hang them in the classroom. Okay, mix that in with a real nihilistic philosophy, which says that there's no purpose to life. Mix that in with a lot of evolutionary philosophy, which says that you're just a complex amoeba. Mix that in with a, a constant diet of, of, of violence on TV and violent video games and, and violent movies. Mix it all in there together. Mix it in with a lot of broken homes. Mix it in with a lot of the propaganda that's done through music on our children. And what do you get? Well, we don't know what you get. It's never been done in history before, but we're experimenting with our kids. They are the guinea pigs, and we're beginning to see some of the fallout of it. It's not, it's not too surprising that here, there, and the other place, you see kids just, out of, for no reason whatsoever, blowing up their friends. It's not that every kid who sees a violent movie is going to go do that. Most kids won't. But the probability gets raised. We're talking statistics here. It's more and more and more likely that this will produce something like that. And the, the, the sociological pundits say, well, here, what we need is more counseling in our schools. That's what we need. Yes, we need more uh, teaching on aggression and, and, and uh, you know, kind of humanitarian stuff. And, and we need more funding. We definitely need more funding because everybody knows that money solves everything, right? We just need to throw more money at this problem. But you see, as believers, we have to have a different perspective on this stuff. God always knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? He knows what he's talking about. He, he gives us... He gives us guidelines for a reason. He tells us how to live because he knows that when we don't live like that, we end up destroying ourselves. And so he tells us how to raise children, how to raise them with the knowledge of God and the love of God and with a little bit of discipline in their life and with a little bit of respect. There's a reason for that. Because when you don't do that, kids go ballistic. Society goes ballistic. So whatever solutions you may come up with, and maybe some of them are even a little bit bright, fine, do them wonderful, but you've got to know this. As long as you are running away from God in the classroom, as long as you're running away from God in the society, you're going to get very ungodly results. It's when you run towards God and you recognize your need for God that things begin to come into line and whatever else you might fix, as long as that is out of place, your system is going to be broken. It can't work. God told you it couldn't work and he designed us. He knows what he's talking about. It seems to me as I'm listening to the news and reading the paper and going on the internet that there's an unraveling that even non-believers are beginning to sense. A lot of different areas. Let me just give you one more area. This is actually the news uh, thing that got me thinking about this verse. Have you been reading about or hearing about these fires that are going on right now? A lot of fires everywhere. The world's on fire. It's bizarre. 
Down in Mexico, Chile, Indonesia, California, all over the place, they got these fires. Now, it's, you always have fires, but these are really big fires. This one in Mexico, they can't stop it. It's just burning out of control. It's so big, you can see the smoke from it from the space shuttle. It's, it, it is, it's so huge that in Texas, this whole week, kids have had to stay indoors. They were let out for five minutes of, re, uh, of recess because the smoke in Texas is so thick from the fire going on in Mexico. It's just a bizarre thing. This whole year's been bizarre for weather. I mean, hasn't it? Some of you got your homes hit again last night. It, it's, they got tornadoes going on in Australia. Now, I'm not saying, oh, it's the end of the world because they got tornadoes in Australia. But you just get a general picture of things. Now, here's what this report said. I, I, I got it, and I, I did a little research on the Internet about this fire stuff going on. Part of the problem, part of the problem is that we have tremendous deforestation occurring. About half, I'm told, almost half of all the rainforest has now been depleted. We have doubled our paper use. From 1940 to 1980, we doubled the amount of paper that we used. The amount of trees we had to cut down just for paper use. Forget buildings now. Just for paper use, doubled. From 1980 to 1995, it doubled again. Okay, we're just using a lot of paper. You need to cut down trees for paper. We've cut down, I'm told, and these statistics get disputed because everyone's got an agenda as they report them, but according to some experts, we've cut down more trees in the last 15 years in the entire history of the world up to that point. Now here's what it, here's, we are now cutting down, I, I couldn't believe this, but I checked it with several different sources on the internet. We're cutting down two and a half acres of trees a year, I mean a, a second. Two and a half acres, not two and a half trees, two and a half acres of trees per second. That's 150 acres of trees a minute. That's 214,000 acres of trees a day. That's 78 million acres of trees a year. It's phenomenal. And the thing is, we have some sanctions on this, but it keeps going forward because the, the law of, of supply and demand is operative. As long as there's a lot of money found in cutting down trees, Trees are going to get cut down. And so you ask, what do you do about that? How can you stop that? Well, we can't. That's the problem. It's, it's, it's a snowball kind of a thing. Now, here's the, here's the problem, this report said. Trees, as you know, convert CO2 into oxygen. We breathe oxygen. Ergo, we need trees and other plants. They take carbon monoxide and change it, change, change it into oxygen. The less trees you have, the more carbon monoxide in the atmosphere you have. The more carbon monoxide you have in the atmosphere, the more heat you retain in the atmosphere. It also does some funky things to the ozone, they're speculating. All in all, the planet tends to get warmer the more you get a greenhouse effect going on. I'm told, this is disputed, Rush Limbaugh says it's not true, but a lot of people on the internet say it is true, that seven, Rush Limbaugh, I'm really quoting an authority there, seven, seven of the last 10 years have been among the hottest 10 years uh, it, it, since we've been keeping record of this stuff. It, it's, it's getting warmer. Look at last winter, folks. I mean, it was pretty warm by, by Minnesota standards, which isn't saying much, but still. Okay, as the planet gets warmer, there's less moisture, or it, 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 it causes the conditions which are conducive to fire. El Nino comes along and just ups the ante a little bit. You always have little fluctuations like El Nino or whatever, but now... Now it pushes it over the threshold where you have fires and you always have fires. But now the fires catch, go faster than they ever have before. They're harder to put out and we're dealing with this thing about forest fires. What complicates the picture is that the more trees you burn down, the more CO2 you have, which makes it more likely you're going to have more fires you can't control, which makes it, makes it more likely you're going to have more CO2 and the spiral goes on. That's the exponential nature of the world. 
And so we've got to just stop right here and ask. You put pieces together like that. You begin to, the last month or so, I've just been looking at the world through these eyes, and you, you begin to see it. Different things going on in the news and whatnot that be, it cause you to ask this question. Here's what I'm sharing with you. What's going on here? What's this all about? Is, is it just a chance fluctuation? Or in fact, is it an evidence that we're approaching the place that the Word of God talks about? The final chapter of this, uh, of this history of the world that God is making here. Here's what's going on. Let, let me read to you from 1 Peter again. Let, let's break this down. I lost my passage. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that a, the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. He's, what's happening here is this. The believers uh, in the congregation that Peter's writing to are getting lax about their things. You know, they, they thought the Lord would come back any second and man, it's been 50 years and he's not back yet. So they're kind of thinking, well, it's going to be a long while. They're just going to kind of coast and just going to kind of go along with things here. And no big deal. Peter is saying, don't think like that. Don't think like that. Stay on your watch. Do you know how many times the Bible tells us half of Jesus' parables have to do with watching and being ready? That's what this message is about. Watching and being ready. Don't sink into a sort of status quo mentality where you go on business as usual. Always live on the guard. Always live watching. Always keep in mind what you're here for and what you're supposed to be doing. So he says, keep this fact in mind. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some would count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Peter's actually saying there is that the Lord, the reason he waits is because he's patient. He wants everybody saved. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants his bride to be a large bride. He wants as many people as possible to be in that bride of Christ. And so he's patient. But then he says this, but you got to know this, you got to remember this. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away. That's just the sky. With a roar, a roar, a tremendous sound, he's saying. It's going to all pass away. And the elements will be destroyed with intense heat in the earth, and its works will be burned up. And since these things are all going to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought we to be? The biblical teaching in the message of Jesus and throughout the New Testament is this. It comes like a thief in the night, he says. No one expects it to come. It comes like a thief in the night. It's bam. It's, it, it seems like things are going on as normal. People are used to it. But it happens suddenly. That's why it's, you have to keep on reminding yourself to look for it, because as life goes on, it's hard to conceive of there being a sudden end. We're not used to thinking like that. And some people say, oh, that could never happen. The world could never end. You ask the people of Hiroshima whether the end can come suddenly. Ask the people of Nagasaki whether the end can come suddenly. It can happen like that, and we're seeing now in the world, the networked world that we're living in, where it's actually conceivable how it could happen. How could the world melt? In Peter's day, there's no way you could even think of how could the elements melt. But we're now dealing with the world, with the arms race being what it is, where you can conceive of this sort of thing. It can happen suddenly. The Lord is patient up to a point, but then judgment comes. This has happened to the world before. We had the flood, when all, almost all of life as we know it was destroyed. Scientists even tell us that there was a period, however long ago, when most life on the planet was destroyed, whether it was a virus or a meteorite, this is what killed the dinosaurs, they, they suspect or whatever. But things don't always go uniformly. They don't always go uh, along the same. If my reading of Genesis 1-2 is right, this whole creation process came out as a result of God previously destroying a world that had gone bad. 
God is patient. He puts up with stuff, but then judgment comes. He was patient in the days of Noah, it says in Genesis 6. But then judgment came, and it came suddenly. He was patient with Sodom and Gomorrah, but then judgment came, and it came suddenly. He was patient with Israel over and over again. But when judgment came, it came suddenly, and so shall it be in the end of this age. God, out of his grace, it is God's grace that keeps this world in check right now. It's God's grace that holds the powers at bay. It's God's grace that keeps morality from degenerating lower than it would degenerate. But there comes a point where God says enough is enough. Are you following me here this morning? Where he says enough is enough and it's time to wrap this gig up and he does it. And when it happens, it happens suddenly. It is there. It's over. And he comes and brings about the world that he always wanted to bring about. And so the question is, and the author asks it, how then should we live? How then should we live? And he says we should live godly and we should conduct ourselves in a manner befitting the people of the kingdom of God. Here's the thing. Folks, in the light of this, when you hear this stuff, I'm not predicting the end of the world, but it's got to have this impact on us. How are we living? The author here tells us, don't live like people who expect the world to go on forever. Rather, live like people who expect the end to come at any moment because it may. We're not to be a part of this world, amen? This isn't our homeland. We need to remind ourselves of this. This world was never intended to go on forever. This is a probationary period. This is the seeding ground for eternity. God is getting a people ready to live with him throughout eternity. But this wasn't meant to go on forever. We need to remind ourselves of that over and over again. Don't unpack your bags. Don't get too comfortable here. Don't buy into the cultural values. Don't accept the things that are going on in the world. Don't buy into the pseudo-deceptive solutions that the world may give you here. Don't settle into a status quo kind of mediocrity. If we hear anything from this passage, it is this. This is not the time, if ever there was a time, this is not the time to be settling into a sort of a mediocre Christianity where you're just going to kind of do church, you're going to kind of do religion, you're going to kind of do Jesus, you're going to kind of do the Bible, you're going to kind of do the good stuff. The Lord is calling a people in this final chapter to be the kind of radical people, amen, that he called his people to be. Amen? It's time that we get an eye on that. I believe that the strongest diabolical force that we face is a force of apathy, a force of used to it, a force of as-usualness. Do you know how many of the parables of Jesus were meant to confront just that? As it was in the days of Noah, people are marrying and giving in marriage, business as usual, bam. We have to live with that sort of mindset, don't settle down. The author says here, look for and hasten the coming of the Lord. Look for and hasten the coming of the Lord. Here's the thing. This is bad news to the world. It's, if you're here this morning and you're a non-believer, this is bad news. Bad, bad news. If you're a believer, however, it should not be bad news. It's not pleasant news. It's like death. For the believer, death isn't pleasant. It sometimes is very unpleasant. But what's on the other side is wonderful, so you know that it's worth it. The whole world is like that. This isn't pleasant. It's going to be painful, people. It's going to be bloody. God's going to let us finally destroy ourselves, or maybe it will be the fire, or who knows what it will be. And it's not going to be pleasant. But for the believer, the author here says, look for it. Look for it. Wait for it. And even hasten it. For the believer, we're to look with a kind of longing for this. The Lord is coming back. Amen? The Lord will set up his kingdom. We are to be so, literally, so little invested in this world that we actually look forward to the time when it ends so then God will set up his coming world. 
The promise, that's why the author says this is a promise. God's promised you this. The world's going to be destroyed by fire. Oh, wow, that's a great promise. Well, if you're a believer and you know what the score is, it is a promise because it's through that, through the purging of this world, that God will set up his kingdom here on earth. And the glory, the promise, the wonder of the word of God is that what is absolutely bad news to the world is wonderful news to us. Because this will be the time when our homeland, we're not citizens of this world, we belong to the citizens of the kingdom, we're citizens of the kingdom of God, and this is when our homeland's going to come, praise God. God will set up shop. There'll be then no more arms race, there'll be no more bloodshed, there'll be no more terror, there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more aborted children and abducted children and shooting children in elementary schools. There'll be no more devil, praise God. Somebody say amen. There'll be no more devil. He's going to be gone. And the Bible tells us, hallelujah. And the Bible tells us that God will reign and we will reign with him. And what that means is his love is going to reign and his peace is going to reign. His joy is going to reign. We're going to be dancing with the triune God throughout eternity. Look for it. Be eager about it. This is not, you read this stuff and it's like, hey, you know what? We could be rocking here pretty soon. And that is not bad news. The final thing, and I'll say it in 20 seconds. No, I won't, but... I'll keep you hanging anyways. Peter says, hasten the day. Okay, not only are we to look for it, like, come on, Lord, but we're to hasten it, speed it up. Now, how do you do that? Well, he tells us that the reason why the Lord's patient is because he wants more people saved. The way you hasten it is by saving more people. And so we are to be so eager about this. As this stuff happens, folks, as the world is, is becoming unraveled, as it's spinning out of control, people have a sense of this. They live in denial, but they have a sense about it. You, believer, have what they need. And I would just end by encouraging you with this word. Be open to the Lord just opening doors for you to share Jesus with people. Not Woodland Hills with people, though you can invite them here, we'll welcome them, but share Jesus with people. Share this, the answer that you have, the perspective that you have. You know what, if a person's worried about this arm stuff, you just say, you know what, this isn't a surprise because the Bible said that this kind of stuff's going to happen, but there's a way that you, that you can get right with God and you don't have to worry about this kind of stuff any longer. Live with an evangelist heart. All of us, all of us are called to be witnesses, called to be disciples, called to be workers for his kingdom. And the thing that God wants more than anything else done through the work of his kingdom is to bring more people in to become part of his bride. This morning, as we close, I want to invite anybody here who's not a believer to just come forward after our prayer. And if you have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do it this morning. Don't walk out of here uncovered. You need the Lord not just to escape the wrath that is to come, but to live eternally with him. And um, I encourage you to come forward and accept the Lord as your Savior. If you want to come forward for any other need and pray, I encourage you to do that as well. Pray with me here. Lord, help us to always walk with a ready heart and a ready mind. Lord, help us to walk as you taught us to walk, knowing that the days are short knowing, Lord, that we're in the final chapter. Lord, give us an intensity, Father, that is, that is appropriate given what we know about where the world is going, Lord. God, I pray that you would put it on our heart to reach out to our neighbors and our friends and those we come in contact with. Lord God, help us to walk in the Spirit looking for opportunities to share your love with them, Father. Make us your kingdom people who are radical, who are sold out, who are ready to do your work whenever you snap your finger, Lord as we go out of this place. Father, I just pray finally that we go out of here with the good news, with a joy that, know, that knows that this is real. It is real and you are coming back. And Lord, we pray Maranatha. 
Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We wait for your appearing in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.